So, Father, we bow our heads humbly before you right now, and we admit that we're a people who are so easily taken in by the things of the world, and we're easily distracted. And so this morning, Lord, our prayer would be that you would tune our hearts, that you would prepare our minds for a season whereby Jesus Christ is lifted up and worshipped in our lives. Father, the world around us presses in upon us, and... uh, It's so easy for us, your church, to look just like them. And so take your word and take this time now and challenge us and strengthen us in our walk with you. And may Jesus Christ be our all in all. And may we worship him this Christmas season as no other time in our lives. We give ourselves now to the hearing of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to tell you that the other day I heard some incredible words from coming from the lovely lips of the lovely Janet Marceau, my wife. Didn't have anything to do with how handsome and strong I am. <laughs> words I never thought I would hear, in fact. Uh, had nothing to do with how wise and respectworthy I am. She said to me, almost in the form of a question, looking for my affirmation, I don't think that I want to decorate for Christmas this year. Um, Well, why not? Got to play coy, you know. On the inside, yes! You see, next to Debbie Steplowski, we got this pile of boxes down in the basement, and I've got to carry them all up, and then places tore up forever and decorate. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, just because Scrooge is my favorite Christmas character doesn't mean that I'm against making things look nice for Christmas. But because of some other home projects that are going on, she said, let's just keep it simple this year. I said, I think that's a great idea. And she whispered to me, if it wasn't for Jonathan... I wouldn't even put up a tree. I'm just going to decorate the mantle and put up the tree. Is that okay? Honey, that's great. That's great. Isn't it interesting how Christmas has taken on all different kinds of meanings to us in our culture, hasn't it? And I don't know how it is exactly in your home, and I know that people have different traditions, but doesn't it seem that... um, Starting with Thanksgiving until the day after Christmas, that's kind of the Christmas season here, isn't it? It's just a pretty intense time. It's a time where the stress level tends to creep up. We're concerned about buying gifts and, and doing this. And, and we think about, you know, getting the decorations out. And then we have to go to this social event. We have to go visit these relatives. And it just becomes about a whole lot of things other than our Lord Jesus, doesn't it? Well, this morning I want to begin what I'm considering like a three-week series essentially on worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas season. We sing the hymns, don't we? Oh, come all ye faithful, come and adore him, come and worship. And then we chase ourselves around with the busyness looking an awful lot like the world around us instead of worshipers of Jesus Christ. So as I share my heart this morning, I 
I don't in any way want to discourage, you know, some chocolate chip cookies being dropped off on my desk or something like that. But, um, and, you know, I was thinking too, we were at the basic Christmas party Friday evening, and, and when we arrived and pulled up in front of the home, there were beautiful white lights up and down the porch and around, and it really was beautiful. It was really fun to go. It was a great time. We stood around the keyboard and sang Christmas carols for at least a half an hour with the young people, and it was a great evening. And so I don't mean to minimize some of the traditions that we have of gathering and of feasting and of lighting lights and so forth. So don't get me wrong in that direction, but somehow I want to call us to a, to a perspective to a greater balance, that it be more about Jesus and less about us as our world squishes us in. I mean, hasn't it become quite extreme? It, when you think of Christmas, it's a time of extreme busyness, isn't it? It's a time of extreme self-centeredness in our culture. It's a time of extreme indulgence. And some of us are worried about the weight gain from Thanksgiving to, to New Year's Day. We need to change our mindset a little bit. I invite you to take your Bible and let's go back to where we read Scripture to begin with. And let me establish for you something that when you read the Christmas story that we have in Matthew's Gospel and we have in Luke's Gospel, there is something that becomes a predominant theme. There is a thread there that comes out that I don't want you to miss this Christmas season and that I want us to emulate in our lives And then I want us to, to the last half of our message, to look at some case studies on how easy it is to really overlook Christ in our lives. We know the Christmas story quite well, don't we? In Matthew, we have uh, predominantly the story of Joseph and the angel coming to him. In Luke, we have basically the story of Mary and the angel coming to her with the good news. And, you know, this year when I was reading the Christmas story a few weeks ago, trying to prepare my heart and my mind for our December messages, I was thinking, you know, what do I preach this year for Christmas? It is kind of a repeated story, isn't it? And that's fine, and we need it, and Christmas is about one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how God, out of his kindness and his love, sent his only begotten Son in that mysterious and marvelous birth in Bethlehem and that it was for such scum as us. It's amazing. But you know, when we read the historical account, and Luke gives us the most detailed account, he was a historian. He was also, we understand, a physician. And so no doubt he he wondered about that birth a little bit, maybe a lot. But notice all of the key characters in the Christmas story, and we find that it is difficult to find any of the key players of the Christmas story who their response to understanding that out of God's love and kindness, he was sending his son to be born on this earth, to grow up, to go to the cross, to become sin for us, that every one of them, when they understood that this was our Messiah, what did they do? They worshiped. Let's look at it for Mary. Mary's as important as anybody in the story, isn't she? Look back at Luke chapter 1, for example, and let's just think this through for just a second. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 46, look what it says. Now the angel had come to Mary, had revealed to her that she was going to be with child of the Holy Spirit, that this was to be the Messiah. 
And look what her response is. The angel leaves and then Mary, in essence, sings a worship song. And Mary said, verse 46, look, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then she got up and went and baked cookies. No, I don't think she baked cookies. She just worshiped. Isn't that something? And then when we turn the page and we go to chapter 2, after the passage in the portion that we read earlier, picking up with verse 8, we have the account of these humble shepherds out in the fields watching over their sheep, and the angels come. And look what the angels say. They bring good news of great joy for all people. And then look at verse 13. Look what it says. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. And look what it says they did. Praising God. They praised God. They were singing. They were worshiping. Mary understood that the Christ was to be born, the Messiah. She worshiped. She praised God. The angels announcing this momentous event, they praised God. They worshiped. You read on in this story, and we, and we have the shepherds then, and what do they do? They're amazed, and they run down to Bethlehem so that they can worship. They did not run to Walmart. They ran to Bethlehem so that they could kneel there and they could worship. Isn't that interesting? And then everywhere they went, they told everybody. And look what it says. Verse 20 of chapter 2, And the shepherds returned. Look what it says. Same exact word as the angels, same exact word as Mary. Glorifying and praising God. Mary worshipped. The angels worshipped. The shepherds worshipped. If you read farther in this passage, you run into that interesting old man at the temple named Simeon. Remember him? Some of you are teaching kids Sunday school and junior church these days, and thank you for your faithfulness in ministry. And no doubt in the Sunday school curriculum, you're clicking off these Christmas stories this time of year, and you've probably got a lesson about Simeon and Anna at the temple. And here's this old man that whom God had revealed he would live long enough to see the deliverance of Israel, the Messiah. And there they are, and in eight days, he has the Christ child in his hands, and look what it says, Luke chapter 2, verse 28. And Simeon took him in his arms. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? That old man holding that baby. And the reality of his faith becoming sight at that moment. And Simeon took him in his arms, and look what it says. And he praised God. He worshipped. He worshipped. I don't think he was stressed out. I don't think he hung lights on the front porch. He worshipped. He didn't argue with his wife about why not to have two trees instead of three trees. He worshipped. If we were to take the time to flip over to Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew's Gospel we have there the story of 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 Joseph, for one, particularly, and it does not say specifically that he praised God. It says it about Mary, it says it about the angels, it says it about the shepherds, it says it about Simeon. Their response was all unified. Praise God! But I can't believe that it's not true the way Michael Card has written some awesome songs about Joseph. And in Joseph's songs, how, how he gets inside the head of Joseph and he, he reflects upon what Joseph must have thought about, the Son of God in his arms. And surely, as Joseph walked, as a daddy would walk a baby 
to help out mommy. He would meditate. He would worship. He praised God. He was awed. He was humbled. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, then in Matthew, also in chapter 3, we have that great story of the wise men. And these guys are something, aren't they? And they come traveling, following this, this mysterious star, bringing gifts. And these are the rascallions that have started all this gift-giving issue. Isn't it interesting? They come, but they didn't do what we do. You know what we do. We check out for all the deals... And we get up before it's daylight. They might have got up before it's daylight, but not to go stand in line at 4.30 in the morning to get trampled at Walmart so that they can get one of five things at super discounted rates. You ever notice something, too? In our gift-giving, how we feel a pressure sometimes in gift-giving to give gifts not because of our love and joy in Jesus and God our Father who gave His only begotten Son. And so in that spirit, I give you this gift. No, I give you a gift because I'm worried about what you'll think about me if I don't get you a gift. We got issues. And we're stressed out about this stuff. And these wise men, they didn't go look for a deal. They brought their most expensive riches. They brought the representation of that which was most valuable to them to spill out in front of our Lord Jesus. Why? Because they came. What did they tell Herod? Where is this king? We have come to, what's the word? Worship him. We've come to worship him. And so at the heart of the Christmas story is what? It is a call to worship. It is a call to worship. Our problem is we miss The point, we're sucked into the culture, we're pressed into the mode of our society, the mold of our society. And like I said, I'm not total a Scrooge about the whole thing, but there certainly has to be a call for worship here, doesn't it? And the psalmist said what to us? You have to be still to know that I'm God. Now our problem is at Christmas time, we speed up, we don't slow down. So how are we supposed to worship? I've tried to catch the point of the message this morning in a little phrase, because this is what I'm calling for as I call for worship. And like I said, this is kind of message number one in in a three-part series on worship and, and keeping Christ central this Christmas season. But let's say this together. Listen to this and then say it with me. What I need this Christmas, and then say this with me, it would be we need time and attention free from distraction, don't we? I need some time and attention to focus on my Lord free from distraction. Let me say it one more time, then you say it with me. Time and attention free from distraction. Will you say that with me? Time and attention free from distraction. We are so distracted, aren't we? And when we read the Christmas story, here it is. No hustle and bustle. No, it is about the centrality of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is about the awe and the wonder and the marvel of this Christ child. It is about how could God love me, a sinner, so much that he would give his only begotten son? And how could this incarnation take place? And then he grew and he went to the cross and he became sin for me so that I could be the righteousness of God. That's amazing. That's at the heart of my worship. 
But what we do is we don't sit still. We don't give time and attention to it. We're filled with distraction. And the next thing you know, we look just like everyone else in this world. We don't look like the church who's in love with Jesus. It's easy, though, to miss Jesus. And this is not an unprecedented thing. And that's what I want to show you here for a few minutes. I want to give you three case studies about how easy it is to have Jesus right in front of you and miss it. We do the same thing. He's with us. It's all about him. And we're scurrying around thinking all about us. The first one is right there in the passage that we read this morning, back to Luke chapter 2. And notice that verse 7. Mary comes to the point in time where she gives birth to baby Jesus. And then there's that interesting phrase that I noted. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because what? Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, Israel had been looking for a Messiah for a long time. And in some ways, there was an announcement, wasn't there? The angels definitely announced it to the shepherds. The shepherds, evidently, everywhere they went, announced it. So it would be easy to miss. And in some ways, I'm glad that I wasn't alive then, because in our three stories that we're going to see, I think how difficult and horrible it would be to have literally had the Lord Jesus right there and to be one who was guilty of missing it all. But then I'm convicted about the reality of having the revealed word of God about being his body on earth and still missing that he's right here. What was going on here? Number one case study is about a little town called Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem we have, number one, represented for us in Bethlehem, number one is a distracted community. It is a distracted community. I don't know what their attitude was exactly, but they were called in to pay taxes. The place evidently, most of the time, very small in population, was literally popping at the seams, I guess not literally, but was figuratively popping at the seams, filled with people. People were all over the place. And you know how it is. We were returning to our father's city. I was returning to my birthplace. I was returning to where I had to go according to the governor's mandate so that I could register in this census so that taxation would be correct. And evidently they were there long enough that Mary was not expecting her baby imminently when they arrived, but after they had been there, the time came for her to be delivered. So it wasn't like you traveled all this way and then turned around and went the next day like we do. But you traveled and you stayed. And not only that, this is a great gathering. Everybody had to be there. Your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your aunts, your nieces, your nephews, your grandparents. You got to see your childhood friends. This is a lot of hubbub. And then here's Jesus. He's born right there. And there's not even room to lay him down and he's got to go be put in a feeding trough of an animal. And we say to ourselves, how come they couldn't see it? Well, there's lots of reasons they didn't see it. But probably the biggest reason they didn't see it is the same reason we don't get so much is because we don't study our Bible enough. He told them it was a virgin. He told them it was in Bethlehem. There even is clue in the Bible exactly the time frame that it would happen. But they're distracted. Let me ask you a question. Can you think of a more distracted people group than Americans? I mean, can you think of, just think, just think of how we live. 
I ask you a question. Do you ever get in your car and drive without some music or talk show being on? Do you ever walk into your house that the TV doesn't click on? Probably, for most of us, the only time it happens is when mom puts her foot down and says, let's get it quiet. I've had enough. Sit. Shut that off. Can we just have it quiet? That's not Janet. I'm just imagining that that's how people would do. We're noise-oriented, aren't we? We're busyness-oriented. I was even thinking how I will literally study my Bible to preach and to teach with two or three things going on. I'll have, I'll have the front headline news flipping up on my computer screen in front of me so that when I look up, I can see what's going on or I can see what the latest sports news is, even as I'm studying. And I'll have a talk show on or I'll have music playing. And I'll be listening in to the people in the office next door, making sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. And there I am. We're distracted. Doing the bare minimums. That's Bethlehem. A highly distracted people. You know what we need? I need some time and attention free from distraction. Will you say that with me? Time and attention free from distraction. That Jesus Christ would be lifted up in my life. That Jesus Christ would be who I really am all about. That I would understand what it is to truly have a worship experience. Secondly, we're going to move on in the life timeline of our Lord Jesus. But our second case study is in Luke chapter 4. This is relatively early in his public ministry. He has now a growing reputation of miracles and teaching ministry. This city is Nazareth. We have Bethlehem, representative of a distracted community. We have Nazareth now, representative of a distorted mentality. Let's read it. Luke chapter 4, begin with verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So it's a good time. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then, verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say, he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But isn't this Joseph? Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you have heard, that, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. 
And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Is that an incredible story or what? Now think about it. Here he's in Nazareth, his hometown. His public ministry is beginning. And now think about the ramifications. Here is Jesus, the Messiah, present with me, reading the scriptures, revealing the scriptures. And and instead of worshiping him, they gnash their teeth and try to kill him. I mean, it had to be a most remarkable moment. For how long had Israel been longing for their Messiah? And then this young man comes and sits down, and as is their custom, they sit down. One of the young men is called on to read the scripture. They pull the scroll out of the tube, the holding tube. He unrolls it. Remember, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to read. They had Moses, Pentateuch. They had the prophets. He unrolls Isaiah. He reads this prophetic passage of scripture. He rolls it back up. It was a short reading by their standards. Puts it back on the shelf. Everybody's looking at him to see what he's doing because he stopped reading so soon. And then he says, Today, people, I want to tell you that this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And we've been waiting for this and we've been looking for this, but I don't believe you. There he is. There he is. The one who could heal the lame, bring sight to the blind, Restore sanity to the simple. And they say, you're out of your ever-loving mind. Why? A distorted mentality. Surely this can't be Jesus. You're Joseph's son, the carpenter's son. You know any people like that around your neighborhood? You know any people like that where you work? You're a Jesus follower? You believe that stuff? You believe that the scriptures are fulfilled right in front of you? Bah humbug. We do the same thing today, right? Why? Because of our distorted mentality. Well, I'm not sure that that's how Jesus was going to come. And I'm not sure. And what do we do? We do like I was saying a couple weeks ago. We have people all around us who just make up their own theology, don't they? They just make up their own worldview system. They just decide that this is the way it's going to be. But when you present the scripture to them and say, look, here it is. It was fulfilled. It's right there. No, that can't be Jesus. That can't be Jesus. It's a distorted mentality. If I don't think it's Jesus, it's not Jesus. And then what they do, Jesus goes on to say, he's like starting to poke him in the eye. I'll tell you something. You need to read your gospels very carefully because Jesus did not very often present himself in a lovey-dovey fashion. Jesus regularly just kind of whipped his finger out, poked him right in the eye. He's very upsetting the way he talks. Surely, surely there were many widows in need back when Elijah was a prophet. They all knew the history of Israel very well. It was tutored in it. They memorized it. They rehearsed it. They play acted it. But I'm telling you, and you remember this Sunday school story, don't you? When Elijah was in the prophet's chamber there and the widow whose food was gone and Elijah prayed and then her flour and her oil lasted for as long as he was there. It never emptied out. Pretty neat, huh? Got like that much oil in a little jar and you just keep pouring it and the next morning you pour more and the next morning you pour more. The next morning you pour more. It's like, go out there and just pour it just to see it pour. 
That's pretty neat, you know? And then the flour bin. There's like a couple cups of flour, and you take a couple cups, and you pour the oil, and then the next morning, you got a couple more cups of flour in there. It's like I'd be taking the lid, like when I took the cups out, put the lid on there, see if I could see it, see if I could catch it going back in there, you know? How do you do that? Surely there were many widows in Israel. But then his whole point is what? It was a Syrian woman. It was, it was a foreign. It was somebody you don't like. And then how about Elisha? Healing them of leprosy. And Naaman, remember, seven ducks in a muddy river? And then his leprosy was gone. Surely there were many people in all of Israel who had leprosy, but not one of them was healed. Only the Syrian, only the foreigner. They gnashed their teeth. This can't be the Messiah. They, they herd him up to the side of the hill where they're going to pitch him down. And then wouldn't you love to have been there and see Jesus? He just walked through the crowd. And he walked away. It wasn't his time yet. A distorted mentality of who Jesus is. There he was right in front of them. But because he didn't fit their grid, they missed it. They didn't worship. What an, what an incredible judgment under which they will stand. Because being right there, they missed it. That's why we need to pray for Israel today. They're still blinded. That their eyes would be open and they would see that Jesus is the Messiah. But what about us? What about us? Do we see him working around us? Or is it because things don't go the way we think they should go? We have this distorted mentality and so we miss it all. And we just get sucked into the whole system of the world. Third and final case study. We have Bethlehem, a distracted community, too busy to figure out that Jesus is there. We have Nazareth, a distorted mentality, doesn't fit their grid. We finally have a story in Luke 9. Now... Time has gone by and it's not too far now till the last part of Jesus' ministry. And he's heading to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 51. And this is the area of Samaria. Luke 9, 51, just through 55. Look at this short, 56. Look at this short story. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead, messengers on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. You kind of have to like James and John here. Remember Jesus' nickname for them? Sons of, sons of thunder. Some kind of frisky, tough young guys. Lord, they don't, they don't believe you're the Messiah here. Can we call fire down on them and just scorch them? Let's just wipe them out. Oh, they deserve it. You ever feel that way? Listen, we've got to leave the scorched earth policies to our Lord in his time. Our job is to replicate Jesus here where he says, no, leave him alone. Let's just move on. Give him time. But you know what's going on here? Probably the best way we can understand this, you know who the Samaritans are, right? Half-breeds. Half-Jew. 
and then sons of Ishmael. If you hang around here long enough, we'll get through the book of Genesis and you'll know more about who these people are. But the Jews and the Samaritans hate each other. It's an ethnic divide. It's a religious divide. That's partly what was going on. They figured out that Jesus was going to Jerusalem. If you have a study Bible, it'll tell you the Samaritans worshipped up on another mountain. They didn't follow that way. They followed this way. We don't fit. Thirdly, the third template here that we have, the third case study we have, is people with a misguided theology. We don't believe the way you believe, so we're not going to worship the way you worship. And Jesus is right here to be worshipped. And because they're following false gods, false prophets, other, re- other religions. They miss it. Jesus came to their town and they totally ignored it. They totally disregarded it. They totally did not believe in him. Sound like American cities? Sound like American schools? Sound like something we do? Oh, and we live in this pluralistic multifaceted, multicultured world where we are to esteem and respect all religions and absolutely this is a country of freedom of religion and freedom of faith. But I'm telling you something, by definition, truth is exclusive. By definition, there can only be one God and it is Jesus the Messiah authenticated ultimately in the great momentous occasion of the resurrection from the grave whereby we are justified. This misguided theology mindset. I don't know if that's the truth. I don't know what all is going on in your mind, and I don't know what all the grid is through which you process Christmas, but one of the things I say is that, A, the the call of Christmas, the call of Christmas is to worship Christ. The challenge of Christmas is to be a worshiper. And not let distraction or a distorted thought process or misguided theology undermine the reality that Christ is among us. He has come. He has done his earthly work. He has returned to the right hand of the Father. And his salvation is free and clear today for you. And that's when we really can worship, when we understand, as I referenced earlier, this dirty, rotten, sinful person named Van Marceau gets to be washed in the blood of Christ, cleansed, and then brought over to my account is the very righteousness of Christ, whereby I stand before him just, not by any works that I have done, but only by the fact that by faith through grace, by grace through faith in Christ alone, I receive the gift of his salvation because I believe that I'm a sinner for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I know that it doesn't stop there, but that the wages of sin is death. That's what I'm going to earn for my sinfulness. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And therefore, when I understand that it's Jesus in a manger, it's God putting on flesh to come to be my substitute. It's God who came to do my work at the cross. It's God who came to take my whipping. It's God who came to come and give me his holiness and his righteousness. And he became sin for me. How can I do anything but find the most expensive part of my life and pour it out on the ground? And what is more expensive to an American than their time. And the least I can do is find some time to worship this Christmas.
What is it I need? I need time and attention without distraction. In closing, let me just say three things that I, on a practical level that I would challenge you to do. And I'm going to try to do this myself at a greater level than ever. Three simple ways that we can build some worship into our lives this Christmas. Number one, keyword, scripture, dash, meditation. Here's what you need to do. You need to get your Bible on your lap. You need to find a quiet place and you need to get in the word enough with some time to do what? To focus on the scriptures for the express purpose of meditation. And just meditate. You've got to be free from distraction to do this. It's got to be quiet. You can't be listening in on the people next door. You can't be wondering what your kids are into downstairs. You, you can't have, you know, the, the football game on. It's got to be quiet. You may have to do this by taking a walk. You may have to sit in your car. You may have to stay up late at night. Turn on... Turn off all the main lights. Leave the Christmas tree lights on. That's all about Jesus, right? And then just meditate. Get the word out. Reflect through the story. Scripture, meditation number two. Keyword, music, dash, adoration. Let me challenge you to get some of the sacred music of Christmas and find time to listen quietly and alone to music for the express purpose that you would personally pour out your heart before the Lord in adoration. It will have to be deliberate. It will have to be you making it happen on purpose. Don't announce it. Don't tell everybody else what you're doing. Find some time where the music, sacred music of uplifting the theology of our Lord and Christ, and then you adore him in worship. A third thought that I had has to do with people because Christmas is such a part of people. I mean, it's, it's in us, isn't it? Christmas is all about people and gifts and everything else. But my third challenge as a simple way to worship is to, to, to do what the shepherds did. They worshiped and then, and then they went everywhere telling everybody. So the third point is people-visitation. Why don't you think about and pray about and who needs an encouraging visit from you in the name of Christ this Christmas to help them be built up and edified and to worship Christ this Christmas? There are lonely people this time of year. There are people with heartache this time of year. There are people who their life is coming unglued. And you know what they might just need? They might need you to show up with some of those wonderful cookies, with maybe a CD of some of that worship music for adoration, just stop for a visit to encourage you. A word of prayer, whatever. It's simple. That's just a few simple thoughts that came to my mind. But what will happen is we'll chase ourselves around. We'll rush around. We'll be too busy. We'll be doing this. We'll be stressed out. We won't take time for the word and meditation. We won't take time for just quiet, reflective music and adoration and in fact, our visits with people will be mandatory or out of a guilt. And it won't be deliberate to go in the name of Christ and point them to Christ this Christmas and encourage them with your visit. A couple of just simple thoughts. If you're not deliberate, it won't happen. If you don't make yourself be countercultural, you'll be just like the rest of the world.
I have one other important tip for Christmas. Only go to Walmart between 2 and 4 a.m. <laughs> It'll give you a lot more time in your day. Let's bow in prayer. Father, as we begin this month of December as a church body, as we think about who we are in Christ and as we think about what the church is as the body of Christ, and now with this Christmas season coming up, would you please convict us and help us to guard against being just like the world and help us to do what we do in a deliberate fashion to to not miss the occasion, to not miss this important time of worshiping Christ, our King, to be more like the wise men and figure out ways to worship you with our valuable commodities and not our leftover broken commodities. Bring conviction where conviction is needed. Give us the grace and the wisdom and the self-control that we need to let your spirit minister to us and to let the outpouring of our hearts be the adoration and the worship and the honor that is due your name. And may it change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.